When Gabrielle was 16, she dated a guy named Mark, but it didn't really work out. So she thought about the kind of person she wanted to date next and listed the qualities she was looking for in her diary. I need to find someone who, like Mark, is always on his phone so he can answer me. I need someone who's on Tumblr. I want something real casual, just like what I had with Mark, just more often and not with Mark. <laughs> That's Gabrielle explaining what she was looking for in a date. I'm Dan Meisner, and this. This right now is Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids. How are you doing tonight? Wow, it is very, very, very nice to see you. This is a show where we go back in time to remember the good, the bad, and the awkward parts of growing up. This time recorded live in Moncton, New Brunswick, we have a war between Canada and the U.S., fart spray in the school hallway, kitchen utensils that can talk, and much, much more. This stuff is weird, it is wonderful, and it can help us understand who we are today. So think about who you were when you were a kid, and stick around. When Amanda was in middle school, she kept a private diary, chronicling what her life was like at 11 and 12. And at our Moncton show, she shared a few different entries about crushes and what she describes as shenanigans. Please welcome Amanda to the Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids stage. A quick heads up, Amanda uses some cuss words in her diary, which we do not bleep. The year was 1997. I was 11 years old, February 14th to be exact. Dear Diary, today is Valentine's Day. Devin wasn't at school. It was weird without him there. February 17th, 1997. Dear Diary, today was a bad day. Of course, it's Monday. (laughs) I don't love Devin anymore. (laughs) I guess we're just friends. He's changed. I might say yes if he asked me out, though. (laughs) February 22nd. Still 11 years old. Dear Diary, today, Devin and Bobby chased me and my two best friends, Annika and Laura. We took something of theirs, that's why. (laughs) We watched Fly Away Home at the 30-hour famine. When it was over, we pigged out on pizza. Our school raised about $1,200. I think we get a Tom Cochran concert because I read in Madame Godfrey's book, Vent Dallel, Tom Cochran. It was awesome. Who is Tom Cochran anyway? <laughs> I still don't really know, so obviously we didn't get the concert. <laughs> February 3rd, 1998. Now I'm 12 years old. Deeper. Dear Diary, today everybody knew who Bobby liked except for me, Annika, and Laura. But finally on recess, I found out it was me. (laughs) He asked me out, and I said, can I think about it? (laughs) So I did, and then I said yes. John Michael asked Annika out, and she said yes. 
When I was heading out to the bus stop, Bobby hugged me. He's so sweat. (laughs) That was supposed to be sweet. (laughs) At basketball, no one was there, so I went into the guy's bathroom, but then Larry, our coach, came into the school, and he stood right in front of the bathroom door. So when he left, I was heading out, but then more people came in, so I just casually jumped out and said, boo. (laughs) Close one. March 23rd. Dear Diary, today me and Annika sprayed fart spray at school. As she says, I sprayed it. She just stood there. Mr. McIntyre, the principal, brought out all the guys from our class and searched some of their lockers. Then he brought out me, Annika, Ashley, the other Ashley, and Amy. He wanted to search my locker, but I confessed. We had to clear the cafeteria for two days. (laughs) Mom was mad. And so was Laura, because I didn't tell her. It was pretty funny, though. Oh, yeah. The smell went up the stairs to the cafeteria and all throughout the halls. March 25th, Dear Diary. I think Mr. Doucette is an ass pick. He's our gym teacher, and I hate him. By the way, ass-pick is my word for asshole. He told me and Annika that we never think. Look who's talking. Also, I got chose to read my speech in front of judges. I hurt Patrick and Devin. <clears throat> April 5th, 1998. Still 12 years old. Stuff I want to do when I grow up. One, get a tattoo but it will hurt too much. Two, dye my hair blonde. Three, marry Devin. Four, party all nights. So I know what you're all probably wondering right now, how many of these came true. So one, I did get a tattoo and 12-year-old Mandy was right. It did really hurt. Two, I did dye my hair blonde, but 12-year-old Mandy was wrong. It was a horrible idea, and it looked terrible. Three, I didn't marry Devin, but I married this handsome fella somewhere over here. (laughs) And four, the only all-nighters I pull now are my night shifts as a nurse. (laughs) Thank you. Amanda, everybody. Very nicely done. Did the other Ashley know she was referred to as the other Ashley? When Linda was 13, her teacher gave the class a writing assignment. Each student was supposed to find a picture, like an image from a catalog or a magazine or wherever, and then write a story to go along with their picture. Linda decided to use a picture of some... Spoons. (laughs) As in, the utensil. Please welcome Linda to the Grown Ups Three Things They Wrote As Kids stage. So there's the picture. (laughs) So I gave them... I drew faces on them and gave them names. And this is the silly little story. (laughs) It's called Brand New Kathy Saves the Day. One day in school, Mr. Silverware... (laughs) 
was reprimanding Shiny for not having his work done. Why haven't you got your work done, Shiny? <laughs> questioned Mr. Silverware. I, I, I forgot, whimpered Shiny. That's no excuse at all. Now you, well, we'll leave Mr. Silverware's class and go over to Mrs. Dessert Spoon's class. <laughs> Ah, good, there's no yelling over here. It's all nice and quiet. This is the way I like it, said the principal, dull old Jack. (laughs) (laughs) Just then the door opened rather slowly and in walked a girl spoon. (laughs) I'm brand new Kathy. I'm new from the factory this morning. (laughs) A woman named Molly Bright Eyes bought a box of soap, and I happen to be the premium inside. (laughs) Aren't I lucky? She asked gleefully. Mrs. Dessert Spoon was rather happy about having a new pupil in her class and welcomed her heartily. So did the rest of the class. No sooner had brand new Kathy finished speaking when in walked Susie Spoon. (laughs) She was late again. She looked somewhat dismayed, but when she saw brand new Kathy, her expression changed. Welcome to school, little Spoon, said Susie Spoon. What is your name? My name is brand new Kathy, she replied. (laughs) Then dull old Jack said they should have a celebration. So Mr. Silverware's and Mrs. Dessert Spoon's classes got together. And this is what they did. They gathered in the auditorium and put on a program, which went like this. (laughs) Dull old Jack got up and made a welcome speech. Shiny got up and said, I'm glad you came to school today. I was getting bawled out, but now I'm safe. You really did save the day, and I'm thankful in my own way. Everyone cheered and clapped. Shiny and Susie Spoon got up and sang a duet. (laughs) Its title was, I'm glad you were a premium, aren't you? (laughs) Thank you. I have a hunch that brand new Kathy would get along really well with the other Ashley. Sometimes people tell me they feel cringy or embarrassed when they look back at their childhood or teenage writing. And I think that's a good reaction. I think it's a healthy reaction. If you feel slightly embarrassed about who you were, that's evidence that you've made some progress in your life. Our next reader, Kayla, brought a poem she wrote when she was a teenager. And today, she describes this poem as really bad. So I'm an author now. That's always what I wanted to do was write. And I'm an editor, so I help other people get their writing published. And when they show me their work for the first time, they're often really hesitant. and They're like, oh, it's not good. And then I found this, so I think I'm going to have to show them this. (laughs) Mr. Sexy, the giraffe. (laughs) 
You'll never see a living being or show quite fine as this, this being Mr. Sexy, this being where it is. Mr. Sexy is a dude, a giraffe with wicked shades. The ladies come from miles around just to see his legs. (laughs) He's got a coat of Humvee sheen. He used to date a washing machine. (laughs) This is a dude who's where it's at. If he didn't have horns, he'd wear a hat. (laughs) Oh, jeez. Uh, Mr. Sexy wears a thong. (laughs) An enormous thing to hide his dong. (laughs) The ladies blush and faint and swoon when Mr. Sexy is in the room. (laughs) Never once he kiss and tell. Um, Mr. Sexy gets the bells, which leaves the men who weren't so great at home alone to masturbate. He'll make seven up yours. He'll make your puff daddy pity. (laughs) Mr. Sexy has got the groove. He's got the in-sync moves. And he'll move ya, he'll groove ya till the sun goes down. He'll move ya, he'll groove ya till the sun comes up. Thank you. Not everything we hear on our stage is necessarily ha-ha funny. Some of it is awkward funny or cringy funny, and some of it's not funny at all. Our next reader is Brianna, and when Brianna was 17 years old and in her senior year of high school, her father passed away. And as one of the ways that she worked through that grieving process, she wrote a poem. And we're going to hear that tonight. Please welcome Brianna to the Grown Up Street Things Over This Kids stage. I will warn you all now, I'm very nervous. I've read this poem to very few people in my life. I titled it Call Me Crazy, But I Suffer From Insanity. I've never necessarily liked that name, but I've never found a better one, so. Okay. <clears throat> The echo of the engine penetrates the atmosphere, so clear if not for the brushing of leaves in the breeze. A clunk in the distance catches me curiously, and suddenly I obsess, I distress, and I freeze. Butterflies flutter in the clutter of my innards. Like spinners, they twist in a spiral so viral and vicious. A delicious delicacy I must be, yet I wonder, are these butterflies factual or fictitious? Hysterical in my state and prone to vibrate, I mutter and I stutter and I shift and I shake. While my jaws clutch and grind, I misplace my mind. Could it be? Is this me? Let me wake. My knotted intestines grow pressured when measured against the immeasurable size of my looming demise. A crow signals death with his last screeching breath, and I, with my swollen bowels, join his cries. Thank you. Um, the reason why I wanted to share the poem is because this year it was my father's 10-year death anniversary. And when I read this poem, it was maybe a few weeks before that, and I'd been thinking about him a lot, and I thought that that might be a nice way to kind of commemorate this 10-year anniversary. There have sometimes been years in between when I read it, 
And it seems like every time I do read it, I can literally kind of envision myself as a teenager in my teenage bedroom, sitting at my laptop writing that poem and going through my feelings at the time and trying to present them in a way that that helped me work through how I was feeling at that time. When my father passed, I had a lot of people kind of coming out of the woodworks, people I didn't really know, and they were all trying to show support, and, and that was great, but I kind of went into a little bit of shock, like I didn't really want to talk about it. I had a really difficult time talking about it, and so it seemed easier for me to be able to put it down, just to be able to get it out. I was really close with my dad, so it was one of the hardest things I've ever had to go through. So I guess if I, if I could go back and talk to my teenage self, oh my God, I don't really know what I would tell her. I guess I would tell her that a lot has changed and it's not always gonna be easy, but that one huge event in my life strengthened me in a way that made it so that anything that I have faced since then, I had that little bit of reassurance that I was strong enough to be able to face it and get through it. Like if I could get through that, then I was gonna be able to get through just about anything. When Katrin was growing up, she kept a private diary. And at our Moncton show, she shared a few different entries from age 10 and age 15, covering a wide variety of topics like friendships, tension with parents, and peer pressure. A quick heads up, Katrin uses some cuss words in her diary, which we do not bleep. Also, she acknowledges the existence of alcohol and drugs. There's your heads up. Here's Katrin. Today, I had a really bad day. First of all, in health, first period, my pilot tip pen broke. And that was my best one. And to make it worse, it was just borrowed from my dad. But at least he hasn't found out yet. Then Tasha went home sick, and that made me sad because today was my day to play with her. You must be totally confused. Here, I'll explain. So when Megan left for quote-unquote France, which was actually France, so I don't know what to put <laughs> After March break, (laughs) Layla, Charlene, and Natasha, which I will now refer to as the group, which I use quotation marks correctly this time, uh, and I became friends. We ate together at lunch, played outside, joked, etc. Well, anyway, when Megan came back, the whole atmosphere changed. We still hung out, and I even went to a welcome home party, which went well. But on the third day, Tasha took me aside and told me that Megan was making nasty comments about me being their friends. Tasha also told me that she wanted to be my friend, but she didn't want to lose her friends in the group. So we agreed to alternate days between us. Now, Ruth comes into this, too. You see, Ruth invited me to her cottage in PEI, and I said yes, but now I feel really obliged to be nice to her, so she won't cancel the invitation. Um, But the group thinks that Ruth is a total loser, but Tasha's not sure, and I don't know what to think about Ruth. Sometimes she acts really stupid, but uh, she doesn't have any friends, and I know how it feels not to have any friends, so I feel that I should play with her, but I don't always want to. (laughs) 
and if I do, then the group doesn't like me as much. Um, sometimes they are mean, but it isn't their fault. It's Megan. She controls their minds. <laughs> and they're scared of her. So, you see, it's all very complicated, and I have lots more to tell you, but that will have to wait till another time. Bye. <laughs> all right, skipping ahead to uh, 2000, so I was in grade 10. I get to hear more about the group. Dear diary, well, tomorrow is the first day of school. Last night was the last night of summer. Of course, everyone wanted to get drunk. Uh, But as usual, we couldn't get any liquor. So Amber, Megan, Tasha, and Layla decided to get high instead. We went to Dorchester Cape to have a bonfire. I made it for them. And then me, Ricky, Karen, and Carrie went for a walk. I was so happy to hear that Ricky thought it was stupid, too. We had fun, though, walking up and down the road, scaring ourselves. Then I got to drive home. The whole time they kept saying, change the channel, or you suck at driving. (laughs) I hate them all, and I've lost total respect. Earlier, Tasha had invited me over to spend the night so we could talk and watch chick flicks, but then when we arrived, she brought Ricky too. So what about me? Well, we were watching Hercules, and I had to fall, quote-unquote, asleep and listen to them make out all night. (laughs) It was so pathetic. I shouldn't care about any of this, but I do. I hate always being the pure one. Kate means pure. Um, I guess it's true, because I never drink, smoke, I don't have a boyfriend, and I've never even kissed a guy. I hate myself sometimes. (laughs) But right now, I'm so angry at my friends. It makes me so angry and sad that all they want to do is get wasted. It's really pathetic. Well, I guess I just have to live with it, because the good little Kate always will be there to use, but easy enough to step on when you want to. Final one. So, also grade 10, January 23rd. Dear Diary, fuck it, damn it, all to shitty hell. (laughs) Stupid parents, I hate them all. Well, today after our exam, Amber and I somehow got suckered into driving Mike Tatton home. Jeez. Anyways, I tell her to slow down, but she was still going 140. 141 to be exact as the cop told us so we get pulled over and she got a ticket I was pretty upset but we got home okay my stupid move was not telling my parents it somehow slipped my mind how small a town this is so my mom bumped into her mom at the store before I got home and I'm being accused of being a lying little shit they don't even notice when I do well at something just when I don't They friggin' almost grounded me. Jeez. (laughs) Exams suck. I'm gonna fail poli-sci tomorrow. God, I wish that I drank. (laughs) Oh, I forgot. I don't. I'm the perfect kid. Fuck it all to hell. (laughs) Thank you. When Kate was 12 or 13, she wrote a short story entitled Flight to the Hills. And before I play you Kate's story, there are a few bits of important context. First off, 
Kate's story is set in the future. It's about Canada-U.S. relations. And in this fictional future, the president of the United States is named Ebony. Kate told me she gave him that name because of the darkness in his heart. You also need to know that Petawawa is a Canadian forces base in Ontario. And finally, you need to know that we're not going to hear Kate's entire story, just some excerpts. But don't worry, I'm pretty sure you're going to be able to follow along. Live on stage in Moncton, here's Kate reading Flight to the Hills. In the summer of 1972, Ebony was elected president of the United States. Because he was a wealthy man with a great number of shares and quite a few big companies, not many people dared to oppose him. (laughs) Ebony had a dream of making all North America part of the United States. He managed by means of bribery or threats to obtain the support of Congress. He decided to advance the border northward first because Canadians were slowly becoming Americanized and part of the Canadian economy was controlled by Americans. Ebony had some scientists make a dummy atomic bomb. This he placed on a ship that was to sail up the St. Lawrence Seaway. He bribed some fishermen to blow up the ship, and then he blamed Canada for sinking it. (laughs) Using this as a reason, he declared war on Canada on April 10, 1973. At first, his progress was rapid because Canadians didn't have a great deal of national spirit. Towards January 1974, however, little groups of nationalists were rising up all over the country. Americans did their best to quell Canadian nationalism, and that's how this story came to be written. So naturally, after an introduction like that, it starts with a tennis match. (laughs) That gets interrupted by Heather's younger sister. You can't go home. A man came to our house and demanded that you're arrest. He said something about treason against the U.S., she explained. Did he want anyone else, Heather broke in. Yes, he wanted Alice and Francie, and oh, he said something about David and Michael. Okay then, Jane, you go home and tell Mom that we're all going to Kennedy Creek immediately, if not sooner. She's to try and send messages to all of our parents, telling them what has happened. They're to meet us at the bridge at Kennedy Creek with all the food and equipment for camping out for a week. Go quickly now before that man misses you. And I'm going to skip over the next part where they decide, figure out that it was because of a play they'd written that they were wanted for high treason. (laughs) And they decide the best course of action is to take these kids over to the other side of the Ottawa River in the total wilderness and leave them there with absolutely no adult supervision. (laughs) Three girls... Two boys, and all they do is adopt a dog. (laughs) And then they find out that the searchers are looking for them. Luckily for the children, the searchers were not very good ones. (laughs) They looked around the area where they'd been told to search and then sat down to rest quite near the cave where the children were hiding. Hey, when's this surprise attack on Petawawa supposed to come off, drawled one man. Shush, cautioned the other. Oh, don't be so nervous, Harry. The kids aren't here. They're probably in Montreal by now. But when is the attack supposed to come off? I'm sick and tired of all this searching bit. A week tomorrow, thank heavens, replied the man called Harry. Well, we'd better be going or the boss will be on the rampage. When the two men were safely out of earshot, David turned to the others. Do you know what this means? Sure, replied Francie. They won't be searching here anymore. 
Not that. About the surprise attack on Petawawa, he exclaimed. Just a second, replied Alice, who had a brother in the army. Won't that attack paralyze Canada's defense if it succeeds? <laughs> yes, replied David. Now, this is what we have to do. We have to warn Petawawa somehow. I think we'll build a raft across the river and then walk the rest of the way to Petawawa and warn them. So the children began to build a raft. After two days of steady work, they had a reasonably seaworthy craft. There was some discussion about when they should travel because they were worried about being seen. But then Alice settled it by pointing out that the U.S. were looking for five children, not five children and a dog. They decided to leave the next day. Naturally, the raft's going to capsize. They have to swim to shore, and the dog saves Alice. (laughs) Five hours later, they arrived at the gate, tired, footsore, and starving. They asked to see Alice's cousin, but the man at the gate refused to let them in. I'm sorry, Missy, but visiting hours are over, he said. But this is important, wailed Alice. I'm sorry, but I've got strict orders not to let anyone in after visiting hours, replied the guard. They do eventually get in, and Petawawa defeats the U.S., and Canada is saved. Moncton, that has been... Grown-ups read things they wrote as kids. Huge round of applause for all of our readers. So, so good. Thank you to James for doing sound tonight. Thank you to Molly and Vanessa at the door. Thank you to everybody here at the Capo. Thank you to my wife, Jenna. Thank you to me, Dan Meisner. Stick around, say hello, get home safe, then dig up your own kid writing. We'll see you soon, Moncton. Bye! Sexy wears a thong. (laughs) An enormous thing to hide his dong. (laughs) 